You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, as I said, Matthew chapter 24 and 25 are sort of a unit. Um, we would encourage you to read them over the next few weeks. Maybe read them more, more than once and see how you, what you make of them. Um, and they, they speak about the last things about eschatology, to use that great big uh, theological words, word. Chapter 24 speaks uh, largely, at least the first part of the chapter, of events that lead up to the second coming of Christ and also the nature of that coming. From the end of chapter 24 and into chapter 5, Jesus tells a number of parables which illustrate uh, the truth of the second coming and the need to be prepared for it. And at the very end of chapter 25, you have, of course, the parable of the sheep and the goats, a parable that speaks of the final day of judgment. Well, I want to look at at these parts of these chapters. We'll see how we get on. Uh, But I want to, to start tonight in chapter 24, the return of Christ and his Uh, second coming the return of Christ which is of course his second coming now now those of us who know uh, something about the Bible and about the gospel we we appreciate this uh, term don't we the second coming of Christ we remember his first coming which we celebrate at Christmas time every year and we know that he is coming again it's a subject of course about which there's been a lot of debate in the, within the Christian church. And outside the Christian church, of course, many people hardly give it a thought, ignore it, or, or don't believe it will happen. Just carry on from day to day as if this world was going to go on the same old way as it has done for generations. That's what the Apostle Peter refers to in one of his letter, letters, where people scoff at the idea of the return of Christ. Sure, they say things have always gone on this way. Uh, the way we see now, and they always will go on this way. That's the sort of uh, view of the world. Most people just ignore the, the whole idea of the return of Christ. But the Bible, of course, speaks of it very clearly. First coming, a second coming, and the in-between days are what the Bible calls the last days. Uh, I hope you understand that. Sometimes in Christian circles, uh, folks talk about the last days or say that we're in the last of the last days as if those were just the the few days before Jesus returns, or the few years, or or a few generations. No, the last days began with the ascension of Jesus, and they will come to an end when he returns again. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, for example, tells us that uh, in times past, God spoke to us through, in many ways, and at different times, through his servants, the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. The Hebrews considered that he was in the last days, and we are still in the last days. It's that period between the first and second coming of Christ. But most people don't think about it as I've said or ignore it, although there are times when it comes a wee bit more to the consciousness even of unbelievers. I don't know what what you can remember going back to, uh, what did they call it, uh, Y2K, the year 2000, uh, and the turn of the millennium? And there was a bit of an excitement about what was going to happen uh, at that time. Both in worldly terms, you know, the talk of computers all stopping and, and uh, airplanes falling out of the sky and so on, that sort of 
uh, scaremongering that went on, but also even in some Christian circles. I understand that there are a number of people who gathered, for example, in the Mount of Olives in Palestine, uh, waiting there for Jesus to come back. They thought he would come back in the year 2000 to the Mount of Olives. Of course, it didn't happen. Sure, it didn't. And other things sometimes alarm people and, and maybe cause them to think about what is going to happen to this world and, and is there a God and is Jesus coming back again? Coronavirus and other pandemics and wars and, and disasters and so on sometimes set people thinking. So there are, on the one hand, people who are quite apathetic. On the other hand, there's been lots of speculation and sometimes date setting and so on about the second coming of Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists are among groups that have set dates at times. If I remember correctly, the Jehovah's Witnesses had a date about, I think it was about 1914, when they thought Jesus would return. But of course nothing happened, so they had to revise their thinking and suggest that perhaps he came secretly uh, and now reigns secretly somewhere. One of the early Seventh-day Adventists, a man called William Miller, set the date of 1843 for the return of Christ. And of course it didn't happen. I think Seventh-day Adventists have backed away from any sort of date setting now. And along with the whole question of the second coming of Christ is what's going to happen beforehand, the whole question of the millennium, for example, there are some who uh, are insistent that uh, Jesus will come and secretly take his people away uh, from this world and, and, and reign from Jerusalem in a new temple for a thousand years before the final day of judgment. Uh, and others say, no, no, Jesus will come and, and uh, there will be the day of judgment uh, and that will be it. And Jesus will take his people home to heaven and punish those who don't know him. And the whole question of Armageddon. You've heard these words, haven't you? Millennium and Armageddon and all sorts of things. Going to be a great final battle between the nations before Jesus comes again. And people think it's going to be literally at Armageddon. I remember in 1989 when I was a student for the ministry, I had the opportunity to go for three weeks to Israel. And uh, the folks that took us around uh, accepted this sort of idea. And they took us to look over the valley of Megiddo. Armageddon really means the hill of Megiddo. And they were sort of saying, this is where this great battle is going to take place. Is that right? All this speculation goes on about eschatology, about last things, about what's going to happen in the future. When I was younger, there was a whole fad among Christian circles for prophecy meetings and signs of the times talk. Maybe some of you remember that sort of thing. It's not so common now, I'm glad to say. But let me ask you a question. Where would you go in the scriptures? If someone said to you, where would I go in the scriptures to find clear teaching about future things, about the second coming of Christ and what lies beyond? Where would you go in the scriptures? Well, I suspect a lot of people would say, go to the book of Revelation. Well, the book of Revelation does deal with those things, and I believe it deals with them very, very clearly. But it's difficult in the sense that it has a particular sort of language, apocalyptic language is called. It uses strange images and, and illustrations of things. 
And it's not a, a sort of a linear uh, description of what's going to happen between now and when Jesus comes back. It, it takes us up to the, the judgment day, and then it goes back again, and it takes us back up again, again a few chapters later. On a number of occasions, we, we find ourselves at the day of judgment. And it's difficult unless you understand the sort of language that it's, that it's written in. So I wouldn't suggest that you go to the book of Revelation to find out about these things. But I would suggest you go to Matthew 24 and 25, where you have the clear teaching of Jesus in very clear language. So what I want to do tonight is to concentrate on what he tells us will happen before he returns. And then on a couple of future occasions, God willing, to look at what will happen when he returns and then the need to be ready for his return. And then we'll maybe come to some of those parables. We'll see how, how we go. So tonight, what will happen before Jesus returns? The context of Matthew chapter 24, as I said when we were reading it, is just before Jesus died. And he'd been in the temple with his disciples. And, uh, and as he leaves the temple precincts, the disciples call his attention to this magnificent building. It, it was a building that was still under construction at this time. It was called Herod's Temple because King Herod, although not a true believer, he tried to ingratiate himself to the Jewish people by giving them money and funds to, to expand their, their temple. And it was still being expanded and, and built at the time of Jesus. And it was a magnificent structure, no doubt. All that's left of it now, well, there's nothing left of it now just the retaining wall that goes around what's called the Temple Mountain, which is called the Wailing Wall. And you've sometimes perhaps seen that on your television pictures. So the disciples call Jesus' attention to this magnificent temple, and he, and he says this to them, I tell you the truth, not one, one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. It's going to be destroyed, the whole thing. Now they went on out of the temple and down into the Kidron Valley, up the other side to the east of the temple, to the uh, Mount of Olives, and Jesus sat down. And his disciples came to ask him a question. And I want you to notice the question, because it's very important to understand this question so that you understand what Jesus says afterwards. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, you notice that that was a double-barreled question. When will this happen? What had been talking about? The destruction of the temple. When will this temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, they clearly put those two things together. It seems that in their minds... If this temple was going to be destroyed, it must be the very end of time. Surely this temple will stand until the end of time. That was their thinking. And they put those two things together. And Jesus, as he answers, he talks about both of those things. But of course, they're not together in, in, in time. One of them has already happened. One happened back, back in AD 70, about 40 years after this. The destruction of the temple by the Romans. The other one, the return of Christ, is still future. But you need to keep that in mind as you look at the remainder of this chapter. 
So that's the context of Matthew chapter 24. And when Jesus replies then, he sometimes talks about one of these things, and sometimes he talks about another. It's an example, actually, of what, again, theologians call prophetic foreshortening. I don't know if you've ever heard that, uh, that word, but it's really where a prophet sometimes, and Jesus here, of course, is, was the great prophet, it's where a prophet sometimes talks about more than one event at the same time. Do you, do you remember Isaiah 40, for example? Uh, the prophet Isaiah was, was uh, encouraging the people of Judah. They were going to be taken away into captivity in Babylon. But you remember how he, he speaks of a, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way for the Lord, Isaiah chapter 40. He, he's speaking of, of uh, the time when the people of, of Judah would be brought back from their captivity. A voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the, path, the way, the paths of the Lord, and so on. But we also know that that prophecy refers to Jesus and John the Baptist because John the Baptist was one who was a voice crying in the wilderness and he prepared the way for Jesus. So Isaiah 40 actually looks forward to two different events, the return of the Jews from Babylon and the coming of Jesus in the ministry of John the Baptist. We sometimes liken that to standing looking at a, a row of mountains or actually it came home to me last week because I was uh, having a walk, not a walk with friends, but not up mountains, but around the North Down Coastal Path. I don't know whether you've been there or not lately, but it's a beautiful path from uh, Bangor to Hollywood. And it's full of uh, little headlands and little inlets. And you can be looking at, at one headland and you don't see anything else. You look into this bit of land jutting out and beyond is just sea and the far side of Belfast Lock and looking at Carrick Fergus or something like that. But when you get up to the the center of that inlet, well, there's another one. And when you get up to that one, there's a, fu a further one, just lots and lots of these. You can't see them all at once. Well, this prophetic foreshortening is a bit like that. Talking about different events, you, they're, they're not all going to happen at once. But the prophet sometimes talked about more than one event in the same prophecy. So Jesus on the Mount of Olives here is speaking then of two events. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Because some of the things he says refer particularly to one, say the destruction of Jerusalem, and other things that he says refer to the other, his second coming, and some can be applied to both. Well, before we look at what Jesus says about the things that must happen before he returns, let me just remind you, for your encouragement, of the prophet promise of his coming. What's going to happen to this world, men and women? Do you ever think of that? What's going to happen to it? At the present time, with the war in Ukraine, a few weeks ago we were told that President Putin had put his nuclear arms, I think, on alert was the phrase that was used, ready to be used. We know that Russia... America, India, China, and other countries have enough nuclear weapons to blow this whole world to pieces. Is that what's going to happen? Do you worry about that? Or, or then think about the whole issue of global warming. Is the world just going to heat up so much, as some would perhaps suggest, that life will become impossible on it? 
Or is some other disaster going to happen uh, to, to wipe out life from this world? Well, the Bible says no to all of those. The Bible says that what will bring this world to an end is the return of Jesus. Pure and simple. You see that promise in a number of places in Scripture. John 14, which we began our service with. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. You can't get any plainer than that. Acts chapter 1, when Jesus had ascended into heaven and uh, two angels were standing beside the disciples and they said to the disciples as they gazed up into heaven and as Jesus disappeared, why do you stand looking into heaven, into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Not plain, isn't it? And the very last thing nearly that Jesus said in the book of Revelation 22 and verse 20 he who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Now there's a lovely word for every true believer. You can put your head on the pillow at night and not worry about a nuclear holocaust or some other disaster uh, coming upon this world, a, a, a huge um, meteorite or something like that banging into the world and blasting it to pieces or something like that. All of these things are sometimes discussed. No, no, no. This world will go on until Jesus returns. Now, we don't know when he will return. Verse 36 of our chapter says that. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus, even as the one who is both God and man living on earth, he at that, at that stage did not know uh, when this return would take place. His, in a mystery, his and his knowledge was, was limited in some way. It's quite an amazing thing, isn't it? Only the Father knows, he says. No one knows when he will return. So when we think, just now as we're going to do, of some things that must happen before the return of Christ, we're, we're not looking for signs of the times, as some people have done, you know, like a, like a list of things, and you can tick off, that has happened, that has happened, that has happened, and when all these have happened, then Jesus will come back. That's not what we're doing. But still, the Bible does tell us of some things that must happen before Jesus comes back. So, what are they? Well, in this passage, we're told, first of all, and these things are not in any particular order, but they're in the passage, that before Jesus comes back, there will be false Christs and false prophets, and lots of them. Verse 5, many will come in my name, claiming... I am the Christ who will deceive many. Verse 11, many false prophets will appear. Verse 23 and 24, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Even if someone comes, comes and, and performs miraculous signs, Jesus says, claims to be the Christ, don't believe them. That will happen. It's happened in every generation. We have seen some outstanding examples of that, if I can use that word, in the last 50 or more years or so. You heard of the Moonies? A man by the name of Moon, I've forgotten his son, Young Moon, or something like that. He, I think he died about 2012. 
But he started the Moonies in 20, no, 1954 it was, and got a huge following and claimed to be the Messiah. But a false prophet. Do, do you remember Jim Jones? Do any of you remember Jim Jones and the Guyana massacre? Jim Jones started a, a sect in America and then took hundreds of people, I think about 800 or more of his followers, down to the country of Guyana, where they had a mass suicide. 1978. He claimed to be the Messiah. These were, these were outlandish examples of this, but there are far more other examples of people who are really false prophets. Maybe don't claim to be the Messiah, but they're certainly false prophets and don't preach the gospel as is found in the scriptures. And some of them might even do it with signs and wonders, but don't believe them, Jesus said. Here's another thing that must happen before Jesus comes. Wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and pestilences. There'll be famines and earthquakes. Wars and rumors of wars. You see this language in Matthew 24? Every century has had its wars and its rumors of wars. The 20th century seemed nearly to crown all, mind you, with the First World War, the Second World War, and others. And of course, we're carrying on in the CNV, aren't we, uh, just now? There's nothing new about this. There's nothing new right down through history about this. If you read the Old Testament, you will see that there were constant battles and wars between Israel and their neighbors, or between those neighbors. And, uh, you know, you look, read, the, read the book of Daniel, for example, and you see how uh, in between the return of the Jews back to Jerusalem about 500 years before Jesus and, and when Jesus came, not 500 years, well, there were different empires came and went and battles galore and death and destruction. Nothing new about that and it continues today. So it can't be used to set dates. Sure it can't. And there'll be persecution of the church, Jesus says here. Verse 9, you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and be hated by all nations because of me. And you see the same thing in verse 10 and verse 12 and, uh, and verse 13. In the beginning of the church in the first century, the persecution largely came from the Jews. But then the Romans, the Roman Empire was at its height then, the Romans took over and began to persecute the Christian church until Constantine became emperor and the Christians got some relief. What we have experienced in Northern Ireland over the last three or four centuries, ever since the Reformation, is not typical of the Christian church. We have been living in a land where we can come to church buildings like this, where we can say we're Christians. We're not stoned to death. We're not hung up in the gallows. We're not put in prison. It might come to that again. I don't know. But this is not typical of the Christian church down through the centuries. There has always been persecution, sometimes violent persecution, and it's still happening. In some of those countries like Afghanistan and China and North Korea and many other parts of the world, Indonesia, lots of Islamic countries. It's very hard to be a Christian, very dangerous to be a Christian. They will persecute you. Jesus said. And there'll be a falling away. He says that too. 
He says, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Many will, will fall away. Their love will grow cold. They'll give up. Right? People who do that, if that's the way they continue and, and, and end their lives, it, it's a, a revelation that they never really knew the Savior because it's those who endure to the end, Jesus said, who will be saved. Do you ever wonder if real persecution came, how you would cope? Well, God gives his people the grace. But be sure of this, if it does come, we need to stand firm and endure to the end. Jesus also spoke here of what seems to be some sort of special manifestation of evil before he returns in verse 15 of chapter 24. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination of desolation spoken of through Daniel the prophet, then let the reader understand. And he goes on to elaborate on that. What he's referring to is what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 11 and, and verse 51. And Daniel seemed to be referring there to a particularly wicked king in the second century before Christ, this man called Antiochus Epiphanes. He came to, to, to the throne of the Seleucid Empire, as it was called. It was sort of based up in, in Antioch, the Syrian region. And he was exceptionally cruel, and he was fighting against his enemies here, there, and everywhere, and he, he attacked Jerusalem as well. And he went to the temple, and he desecrated the temple. He took pigs, for example, and offered them as sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. And you know, pigs are an unclean animal to Jews. This was a horrible thing for the Jews. And he forbade the worship of Jehovah. And the, the, the Jewish people suffered greatly at his hands for a time. That was what Daniel seems to have been referring to when he talks about the abomination of desolation. And Jesus here, I think, is saying that something like that will probably happen again. It did happen again when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. Antiochus had gone into the temple and, and ravaged it and, and polluted it in AD 70. The Romans did the same with their armies. And it seems that perhaps toward the end of time, there will be some other manifestation, great manifestation of wickedness that, that we will be able to see. I don't know what it will be like. I don't know whether it will be a single person or, or an army or a, a nation or whatever. It's probably what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Second Thessalonians when he spoke of the man of sin or the man of lawlessness who will one day be taken away when Jesus returns. We live in a wicked world. But I think Jesus is here saying that toward the end of time, there will be some increasing manifestation of wickedness, some super wickedness, if you like, like Antiochus, like the Romans in the temple. And the people of God will be under great, great pressure. False Christs, false prophets, wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, persecution of the church, a particular manifestation of evil. But one last thing. Jesus says, but the gospel will be preached across the whole world. The gospel of the kingdom, verse 14, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He's not saying that every single person in the world will hear the gospel, but he is saying that all nations will hear the gospel. 
You could argue that perhaps that has already happened, that the gospel has gone into well, virtually every part of the world. I don't know whether you're familiar with um, Asia Link, missionary organization called Asia Link. Are you familiar with that here? Yes. Gordon Stewart um, used to come to us in Castle Dawson, and they visit various people groups and, and, and national groups in Asia. One of them that he told us about was the Maldive Islands in the Indian Ocean. And as far as he knew, the last time I heard him speak about this, there were no Christians in the Maldive Islands. And maybe that has changed. Maybe they've been able to make an inroad for the gospel into the Maldive Islands. He also spoke about uh, uh, people who lived in northern, uh, northern Syria and uh, southern Turkey called the Yazidi people. And as far as he knew, there was no gospel influence among those people. But it's always changing. And people groups are getting the gospel in their own language. And people are making inroads into these people groups with the gospel. But what Jesus said here must happen. The gospel will be preached in the whole world. And then the end will come. What sort of a picture does that give you? Well, in many ways, I suppose it's not a very pleasant picture. Sure, it's not. What Jesus is saying here is simply, simply this, I think. This is the sort of world that you will have to live in before I return. False Christs and false prophets and teachers will abound. Wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters will be never too far away. Persecution of the church will be an ongoing thing, of course. Some special manifestation of evil, perhaps, before Jesus returns. But still the gospel will be preached and will go into every corner of the world. It's a frightening world in many ways. Apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus, isn't it? Can you go home tonight and put your head in your pillow with peace in your heart? Because you know that God is sovereign. And God is working out his purposes. And Jesus is building his church. And he will continue to build his church until that day when Jesus comes again. I don't worry about a nuclear holocaust or any of these things. What, what Jesus tells us here is that before he comes, life will be going on in some way or another. Do you remember in verse 37, 38, as it was in the days of Noah? So it will be in the, at the coming of the Son of Man. In the days before the flood, people were, listen to this, eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. That's normal life, isn't it? Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Yes, there'll be the wars. Yes, there'll be the persecution. Yes, there'll be the disasters. All of these things. But life will be going on. People will be marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking. And suddenly, Jesus will appear in the clouds of heaven. That's what's going to happen to this world of ours. No wonder in Luke chapter 21, when Jesus was speaking of these things, and Luke records in his gospel, he says, when you see these things, don't be afraid. Look up for the day of your redemption draws nigh. We've sort of lost sight of his appearing, haven't we? Even in the Christian church. Paul spoke about those who love his appearing 
who look forward to his appearing. But too often, I speak of myself as well as speaking to you, too often we just carry on from day after day, from day to day, as if it wasn't going to happen. We should be looking for it. And we talk about being ready for it. We should be longing for it. And we can only be that way, of course, when we truly know the Saviour. Let's make sure of that. Let's pray together. Thank you.